0: Welcome back to the nationally syndicated Price of Business show. I'm your host, Kevin Price, talking to you about you and your business. Let me tell you. Uh, the kind of uh, uh, children's baby food that we that our children are getting, baby formula—that's the word I'm looking for. That is really important, and our topic is going to deal with that. You know, as a grandfather of uh, how many kids, grandkids? i like five, six. We have a lot. I can't keep up with them. We did, we we had two just in the last year, and they're on baby formula. And I I, I look at these stories. Uh, and I get alarmed by them, and I'm really glad I have have someone like Laura Wiley who's going to be joining us this segment. She's been on the show before. She's a reporter with the uh, uh, Washington Post, and as part of my ongoing series, I've been doing for almost a year with Washington Post journalists every week on the show. I love them uh, because of the fact that they bring such depth and research into stories, which is so hard to find. Uh, the vast majority of, of writing out there is so Brief And there's, there's nothing wrong with that per se, but you know, most of it is brought in with opinion and not research. And Washington Post is one of only a handful of uh, publications that I think really takes its job seriously, and, and uh, when it comes to quality and depth and breadth of coverage. Laura, I'm really glad to have you back. Welcome.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Interesting topics uh, today. And in fact, it looks like uh, from uh, looking at your uh, you know, recent uh, trends, uh, I know your beat includes a lot about the business of food. That is your primary business. Uh, beat, rather. This subject, uh, baby formula, you've had a, a couple of. Uh, I think uh I I think really important articles one in particular the fight to keep little known bacteria out of powdered baby formula. I look at the article and I look at the at the child who uh got affected by this bacteria. This is really serious stuff.
1: Absolutely. Well, so we started I started covering this story in February uh when the baby formula shortage crisis kind of started escalating. Um, And, you know, a lot of uh, blame has been assigned to Abbott Nutrition uh, for having a facility in Sturgis, Michigan, that was shut down because of cronobacter and and hygienic conditions there. Um, And it really did kind of prompt this avalanche that caused a nationwide shortage. Um, And lots of different uh, populations really couldn't get any formula for weeks and weeks and weeks, and uh, we're still seeing some empty store shelves. So, you know, some of the, the blame squarely is uh, on Abbott Nutrition's shoulders, but it's the story is much longer in duration than this. And the, the, the issue of Chronobacter in formula goes back a couple of decades and really does involve a, a three different agencies um, government agencies so i hope we can kind of unpack some of that as we as we chat that's a lot
0: of unpacking we we'll, we'll have to do our best let me ask you is abbott is the only one uh found to have been using or using formula that have this potential problem or is it pretty ubiquitous
1: it's ubiquitous mm-hmm. and over the years basically every major formula company has had a problem with it it's a bacteria that occurs naturally and loves to, just really thrives in powdered milk. Um, so all of the powdered formula companies are really at risk of this, and it's very hard to test for. I mean, you would have to, a lot of these vats of formula are, you know, multiple thousand Uh, pounds of of powder, and you would have to test all of it to really ascertain that there is no uh, bacteria in it, either Salmonella or Cronobacter, both of which thrive in milk powder.
0: And I'm assuming it's generally generally, uh, agreed, probably by both industry and government, that it isn't practical when you consider the need of people to eat. Babies need food. And, uh, you know, and, and to make, you know, because the cost would be enormous. There, you know, none of this happens in a vacuum. They're not just removing this, uh, but there's a huge cost in removing it that would show up in the cost of your formula.
1: Well, so for at least a couple of decades, CDC scientists, FDA mm-hmm. scientists, and USDA scientists and epidemiologists have all said, hey, wait a second. This is a perfectly safe Bacteria for healthy guts for you know mature and healthy people. If you or I -hmm. drank formula that was infected with Cronobacter bacteria, we'd be fine for the most part. Um, Mm -hmm. But it is very problematic for immunocompromised babies, for premature babies, and for just regular full full term babies under three months old. So there's been a lot of talk over the years about. Uh, prescribing or suggesting to new parents that they use sterile ready to feed formula until that baby's gut is mature, uh, you know, is a couple months old, and then pivoting to powdered formula after that. And it's just never worked out. I mean, about half of the formula in the country is used by um, people on low income Americans on WIC, on the, the kind of uh, kind of the food stamps-ish program for, for women and children. Um, and primarily those people are prescribed or allowed to get just powdered formula with their benefit. They don't really have the option of sterile ready to feed unless they get special doctor permission. So that's been a real problematic thing for decades because scientists have known that this is a problem especially for those very young babies.
0: And I'm assuming sterile ready to feed, if for all the reason because of the fact that there isn't more out there because the amount of of something out there actually lowers prices, as you well know, rather than drives them up. Um, I'm assuming it's much more expensive than just formula.
1: It is a little bit more expensive, but if you're talking about eliminating something that can risk your child's you know, life oh, yes. or, or lifelong health, you know, it may be a worthwhile thing to really, for pediatricians and, you know, neonatal units sending people home to just say, hey, just so you know, this powdered formula is not a sterile product. They cannot make it a sterile product. And you either need to boil the water and use very hot water that would kill this bacteria, or if you're concerned about your baby's health, you know, pivot to this this uh, sterile liquid ready to feed, at least in the beginning. Um, so another big problem with this is that the CDC has never made chronobacter a nationally reportable disease like E. coli or uh, salmonella or listeria. So we're really flying b- blind in terms of how frequently babies are becoming sickened by this. Because states, Mm. the only state that reports this as a mandatory report is the state of Minnesota. So if a baby gets sick... Yeah. I would say California. (laughs) For whatever reason, yeah, the Department of Health in Minnesota is really kind of the gold standard for for foodborne illness across the board. And for decades, they've made it a mandatory report. And this whole um, recent crisis was really only brought to light because of Minnesota and their Department of Health. They recorded the first uh, episode of this, which caused Ohio and Texas, when they had an outbreak, to triangulate and reach out to the Minnesota people and say, wait, you know, we hear that you had a Pernobacter case. Did it look like this? Can we compare this to this? So, you know, the CDC has the ability to declare it a nationally reportable disease. There are about 120 of them that are nationally reportable now. And they've elected not to do that. Um, and part of that is because it's not super common, but we don't know how uncommon because of, because of that problem. So it's kind of a catch-22. Yeah, and
0: just to be clear, my questions about cost wasn't so much, uh, you know, let's be cheap, as much as how much of that attitude about cost is playing a role in policymaking that you you understand what I'm saying. Absolutely. Sure. So
1: yeah. It, no, I mean, it's those not that the I was program. declaring I mean, that,
0: they, that the that yeah. the babies aren't worth it. <laughs> I just want to know sure. uh, I just want to <laughs> know what why in the world are not they doing that? You know, at the very least suggest boiling water, which makes a uh, often a very long process. and It's difficult. Uh, you know, uh, even longer, but at least would make, you know, that at least would make some sense. Uh Hard when you have a starving baby and you gotta, uh, you know, that child has to wait for uh, it to cool off. Uh, But yeah, at least that I've never even heard of this before. I read your article.
1: Yeah, so I mean, the WHO and UNICEF and all of these organizations, these NGOs that work around the world, have been have been talking about this for decades and have been advocating that, um, especially in emerging countries or developing countries, that People boil their water um, and use boiling water in that powdered formula to kill any bacteria in the u s we've never really suggested that in part because we're more concerned about scalding a baby than than you know the the very remote possibility of this bacteria infiltrating um, but also because a lot of the formula that we use in the u s now has probiotics and prebiotics and things that um are added nutrients that would also be killed with boiling water. So you know, I think there's a lot of concern. Well, if you wow. advertise on the front of your container that it's got these probiotics in it, and then you're telling people to use boiling water that would kill it, you know, like that's that is, I, I totally understand that um, as a as a rationale for not making that recommendation. But I do think there should be more effort. Um, to educate new parents um, about the risk. I mean, some of the CDC folks I talked to said, well, you don't want to stigmatize powdered formula because it is cheaper, and for low-income folks, it is easier to get your hands on. You can make a small quantity. You don't have to, th- you know, with the, the sterile liquid, once your baby's done feeding, even if there's still liquid in that bottle, you throw it away. You can't you can't reuse, you know. Um, so powdered formula, in a lot of ways, is easier to use Um, so it does make sense that we don't want to do anything that is going to steer, you know, millions of parents away from a product that by and large is perfectly safe, um, especially as a baby gets a little bit older. So it's, it's problematic, you know, what, what, what advocates, what, you know, pediatricians should be telling people.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, very problematic and it's, it's, uh, you know, I, I, there's a part of me that wonders if the situation's Far worse than we know. What was what is Minnesota's numbers like? And then you talked about the fact Texas and a couple other states have had outbreaks. And of course, when you hear that word outbreaks, you know that, that instantly sounds alarming. What what kind of numbers do we know for what we know? Which again, really is only Minnesota definitively. It sounds like um, you know, and then it's only if, if reported. Uh, but kind of give me a sense of, of what you're seeing.
1: Well, it's really, we only have about a handful of cases every year in the U.S., but there are plenty of meningitis cases with babies or cerebral palsy or those kinds of very serious or even just, you know, sudden infant deaths um, that may not be tracked back to Cronobacter. that people may not be testing for that. So there may be um, really grave illnesses for babies that never get appropriately attributed to you know a Chronobacter infection as the trigger. Um, so it's it's just a it's a tricky question. And at the very least, um, the FDA uh should have labeling requirements for powdered formula containers that say this is not a sterile product, um, you know, this may not be an appropriate product for a premature baby or an immunocompromised baby please consult your doctor. Um they have not really been uh very aggressive in making these demands of the formula industry. You know, the formula industry has pushed back about testing, they've pushed back against more aggressive labeling language um because they're worried about sales, you know. So this is You're all kind of sure yeah. it's a, you know it's an interagency um you know, sh- shortcoming basically that has left, uh, you know, neonates vulnerable.
0: Right, right. And of course, it would have an enormous amount of disruption uh, if the agencies really push for this that will have a ripple effect that they'll have to deal with, right? Complaining parents, oh, no, there is the occasional scorched child, you know, all, all of the. <laughs> Uh, you know, all the problems that come with change. But what bothers me wo- most is the lack of buyer beware.
1: Absolutely, I think that that's the key to me. That that, and you know, and some of it comes down to pediatricians not getting good nutrition education of their own in medical school. You know, I talked to pediatricians who said we never got, we were never told this at all. So some of it is an education issue that that the the medical professionals are not telling parents, hey, just a heads up, this product um, has a small but, 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 you know, potentially devastating risk associated with it. And here are the steps that you should take if you have concerns about this. Um, So some of it is really that education
0: piece. Laura Riley, always love having you on the program. Look forward to your next visit, and soon I'll be calling you a regular on the show. Uh, Laura, real quick, what other stories are you covering right now, uh, just to uh, whet the uh, listener's appetite? Well, I'm doing do you, an awful do can... lot
1: right now. Yeah, so um, this, this year's harvest in the U.S. across many states and many crops is very subpar because of uh, drought you know, ongoing high heat, ongoing uh, limited water, limited irrigation water. And so we're going to see that reflected in food prices moving forward. I mean, we've we've talked a lot about, um, you know, food inflation in the past bunch of months, and a lot of it has been supply chain disruption and labor costs and transportation costs. And this is more just climate change-related extreme weather uh, impacts.
0: Yeah, and meanwhile... Uh, all of the supply chain problems have yet to be eradicated. So <laughs> you're here to have that still be part of the uh, formula. Uh, Laura, always love having you on. Now, Washington Post, uh, you know, um, I read the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, and the Washington Post both fairly regularly because they each have slightly different focuses and bends, but they're all true newspapers of records, which means their depth and breadth of coverage is really... Uh, You you, you can't find anyone who can touch it, uh, uh, except for each of them. And to me, it's really important to get depth behind these important stories. Laura, thanks for also adding nuance uh, to our conversation and understanding.
1: Well, thanks for having me today.
0: Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I'm Kevin Price. This is The Price of Business. Stay tuned for more.